leave it there. He didn't just give us what we deserved, which was ourselves and our own sin. No, no, no. He chose a people. He chose, uh, he chose that one day he would redeem all of mankind back to himself. That's, that's the point of the whole Bible, is that word redeem, redemption, right? And we're going to see that in our story today specifically in Ruth. And you can go ahead and turn there in your Bible. But that's the whole story of the rest of the Bible from Genesis 3 to the end, is how does God redeem us? How does he buy us back from ourselves, from our sin, back to himself? That's the whole story. So God chooses a people, Abraham and his descendants. And he says, I'm going to bless you so you'll be a blessing to all the nations. I'm going to redeem you so you can be the method that I redeem all the peoples, all the families of the earth. And those people uh, are just like us. And they continue this ebb and this flow, this, these highs and these lows. Sorry, I didn't mean for that to rhyme. It's a roller coaster, right? There's these cycles of disobedience. There's times that are good and they're walking with God and then they turn their back and they go their own way. And God has to send punishment or judgment on them to bring them back and they bring them back and they're good for a little while and then they turn their backs over and over and over. And it's the, in Judges it says it got worse every time. They got deeper and deeper and deeper into it, right? And that's where we find ourselves in the story is in the middle of Judges, the time period of Judges. It's a dark time in the history of Israel. Um, but that's where Ruth is. Ruth is a seemingly uh, random family of Israelites when we meet them. <laughs> they're nobodies. Um, but they're made up of some Israelites and then some foreign women um, who've experienced some really tragic and heartbreaking times in their lives. Uh, Ruth, is, Ruth is a personal story. It's, it's really a love story, which is funny that I'm preaching it because I am not romantic. Um, I really am not. You can ask my wife and apologize. I'm sorry, babe. Uh, Ruth is a love story. It's not a history book about kings and rulers and times and places and wars. No, it's a love story. It's personal and it's deep. It's ultimately about how God uses some destitute and broken women and redeems them out of it as a picture of what he's doing for us, how he's going to redeem us out of our sin. And ultimately, here, here's the point of today. If you don't hear anything else, this is it. Ruth is meant to be an encouragement to us. It's meant to be an encouragement to us that God is redeeming us and God continues to redeem us even when and especially when our circumstances make it seem like God is against us or has forgotten us. That was a long sentence. Let me say it again. Ruth is an encouragement to us because of this. It's meant to show us that God is redeeming us. He has a plan and he's at work redeeming us even when our circumstances and especially when our circumstances say that God is against us or maybe has forgotten us. Ruth is a story for people like us who maybe wonder where God is in the midst of a tragedy. It's for people who have suffered through terrible things. It's a story for people who wonder how could God be present how could God be working how could God be even be in this uh, John Piper says this it's at the bottom of your note sheet if you want to look he says this God is doing 10,000 things in your life at any point and you may be aware of three of them <laughs> God is doing in your life 10,000 things to shape you form you move you do all sorts of things in and around you and you might get to be aware of three of them 
right? And that's the story of Ruth. We get these glimpses of what God is doing. We don't see the whole story. She just gets a glimpse, one of those three things. God's doing all these things, and he's using her, and our lives are no different. It's so, sometimes so hard for us to see what God is doing, and we, we either don't want to see it or we can't see it. But there are glimpses of God working in and around us. So let's jump in. We're going to read the whole book this morning. Philip is my timer in the back. He said he was going to have poster boards holding it up, <laughs> telling me, you got five minutes left. you got three minutes left. So I'm looking at you, Philip. Here we go. Ruth 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. Don't correct me on those. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. And they went into the country of Moab and remained there. Verse 3. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The names of one was Orpah, and the names of the other, the name of the other, Ruth. And they lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. This time period is a dark time of, of uh, Israel's history. The people have rejected God over and over, and they've gotten deeper and deeper into their sin. There's a famine. There's all kinds of things going on. And from the big picture, what it looks like is, God is not active in this. God is not present in their circumstances. It seems from a quick glance, maybe God's not actually accomplishing his purpose, that he's going to redeem humanity, that he's going he's to pull them out of their sin. But Ruth gives us a glimpse, that's the word for today, a glimpse at what God is doing. So Naomi, her husband Elimelech, I don't know if that's pronounced right either, but they're experiencing a famine in Judah, and the reason there's a famine is why? Well, because God has taken his hand off of it, right? Because God has, that they knew that if there was a famine, it was because of their sin, right? And so they had to leave the promised land that they had longed for for so long. They had to go to Moab, where they had been in the wilderness for 40 years. So they go to Moab to try to find food. And while Naomi, while Naomi is in Moab, her husband Elimelech dies. Not only has there been a famine and God's hand is against them, but now her husband is dead. And, and to add to that, um, they're separate from their people. Her sons then marry foreign wives. And this was, you can look it up, De Deuteronomy 7. This was not God's plan. He wanted them to marry Israelites. Why? Because you can't marry somebody whose heart's in a totally different place. It's, it's going to rip you apart. It's going to pull one, one way or the other. So her sons marry these Two Moabite wives, these foreign women with foreign gods. And in time, her two sons die. She's living in a foreign land. She's got two daughter-in-laws that are Moabs. There's a famine in her land. She's separated from all of her family. I, I really think Naomi is depressed. It's a dangerous position for Naomi, Naomi to be in. She is manless in this society uh, in, some, in our day, that's like a good thing, right? But in their day, this was a dangerous thing, right? Because she doesn't have a husband to take care of her. She doesn't have any uncles or dads, uh, fathers to take care of her. She doesn't have any brothers. She doesn't have any sons. 
She is left to fend for herself. She is vulnerable to the max. She has to feel that God's hand is against her. There's no way God could be in this. Let's keep going. Verse 6. Verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. And she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we, we will not return with you to your people. No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. It is exceedingly bitter to me. For your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So Naomi, her two daughters-in-law, they hear there's food in the land of Judah. We can go back and find food. Now let's stop there for a second and think about what this means. If they're worried about finding food, what does that say about their condition? And they are destitute. They are in poverty. They're worried about where the next meal is going to come from. Right? They're not worried about purpose and future. And, no, no, they're worried about food, a meal. They are destitute. But they hear. They hear there's food. So they're going back. And Naomi, in her depression, she, she tries to convince them, right? She tries, no, you do not need to come with me, right? You need to stay here with your mom. Stay here in your family. Stay here with your gods. You don't need to come with me. She's painting this picture of her future, and it is grim, right? It is grim. She is absolutely depressed. She has no hope. She cannot see the glimpses of what God is doing. She has either shut her eyes to that or through tragedy and strife. <laughs> She's blind to it, right? So she tries to, to, to dissuade them from coming. And when we're like Naomi, and we either refuse to see the glimpses of God working around us, we refuse, uh, or we, we just can't because of life circumstances. Oftentimes what we do is we kind of exaggerate our hopelessness, right? Depression is this, this cycle that goes down and down and down. And we, we, we get worse and worse and worse, and we can't see what God's actually doing, the good things, the glimpses of what he's actually doing. Now, there were good things. In their situation, God had provided food in Judah. They could go back. She had family there. They could go back and find food. She had two daughters-in-law that loved her enough to weep with her and cry with her, right? There were good things in her life, but Naomi feels as if the hand of the Lord is against her. And the challenge today for us, because some of us are, are just like Naomi, and it's really difficult for us to see how God could be working in our situation. The challenge for us is to be experts at seeing those glimpses of what God is doing in and around us. Holding on to those. Don't, not letting go of those, but holding on to those glimpses so that we can be people of hope, not just people of despair like Naomi. 
So Naomi persuades Orpah, which is a good baby name, by the way. No one uses it anymore. Um, Orpah. Orpah goes back. She's not famous, right? She doesn't get a book of the Bible, but we get Ruth because Ruth stays with her. So verse 15, chapter 1. She said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And may the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. Now, Ruth has this unbelievable loyalty, this unbelievable commitment to Naomi, her mother-in-law, right? I mean, who loves their mother-in-law that much? Mine's not here, so I can say that. (laughs) Some of you should raise your hand at this point, right? But she has this unbelievable, it's not even blood. This is is somebody she kind of got stuck with, right? Sorry, that sounds terrible now that I said that out loud. That wasn't in my notes, Philip. Um, but she is committed, right? She says, where you go, I will go. Your people will now be my people. Where you worship, I will worship. Who you worship, I will worship. And where you die, I will die. She was going to die way before her. She's saying, no, I'm all in on the land of Judah. I'm all in on Yahweh. I'm all in on the Lord. Unbelievable loyalty. Let's keep going. Verse 19. Verse 19, so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Her name means pleasant, by the way, Naomi. She's enjoyable to be around sometimes. Verse 20, she said to them, do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi Pleasant when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? (laughs) Talk about an entrance, right? It's not my name. My name's not Pleasant. Call me Bitter. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. I don't know if you can tell, but Naomi is struggling. She is depressed. She uh, feels as if the hand of God is against her. She feels that God has done this to her, not her, right? She's got a victim's mentality. No, this is your fault, God. This isn't mine. No, you're not here. You're not paying attention to what's going on in my life. She's the opposite of, if you think about it, Joseph, another character we've talked about recently, right? They both go away to foreign lands. They both have some very tragic things happen in their life, right? Joseph ends up in Egypt as a slave because his brother sold him. He's falsely accused of rape. He's put in prison. There's all sorts of terrible things that happen to him. But his response is not, God, why have you done this to me? No, no, no. Joseph says, no, no, God meant this for me, right? To bring about the salvation of many, right? But Naomi goes, no, the hand of the Lord is against me. Do not call me pleasant. Call me bitter because that's what I'm going to be. See, Naomi couldn't see the glimpses of what God was doing. And if we're like Naomi and we 
shut our eyes to what God's doing around us and we always see is our circumstances or what, what the situation is. And if we let that control us and our view of who God is, then we'll be bitter. It won't be pleasant. Right? We won't be like Joseph who sees how God's hand is at work and his hand is at work in this. Let's go to chapter 2. We're about to start to see the glimpses. Verse 2. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. That's a fun name to say, Elimelech. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain. After him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? Looking at Ruth. And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, He's saying, she asked me, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Now, if your eyes are open, you can see the glimpse of God working, right? Uh, In the part, uh, we get to see a glimpse of God's plan of redemption. In verse uh, 3, it says, she happened to come to the field, the part of the field belonging to to Boaz, right? And if your eyes are closed to God, if you're just consumed with your circumstances, you don't see those things as meaningful, right? Right? But if your eyes are open and you can see God working in this story, what you see is there was, she happened to come, right? No, 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 no. This wasn't happenstance. This was God. God at work. God directed her steps. God put her in the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Now, Boaz was Elimelech's family of some sort, and don't think like cousin, or this is like clan, people, like East Texas, these are my people, right? It's different for us, we're whatever, but he's family, right? And, and what this meant for them was that, that, man, there's hope, right? There's some male that can come and marry and take care of us, right? There, there's hope, right, for her to come to the part of the field where Boaz was. Now, Boaz was known as a kinsman redeemer, and that term kinsman, obviously he's kin, he's family, and redeemer meant that uh, if a family member got in trouble, a husband died in battle or just from natural causes, somebody in the family was responsible, obligated, required to take on that family, to take on their stuff so that they had a possession in the land, to take on their people so that they had a lineage, and to provide for them, right? That, That was a built into their laws, right? A kinsman redeemer, somebody who would redeem them. And, uh, and Boaz is this man. He is that man. And so Ruth just comes to his part of the field, and Boaz begins to notice her. That's not chance. That's a glimpse of God at work. Verse 8. Verse 8, Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? 
And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? So Boaz notices her. Not only does he notice her, but he calls out to her and he says, hey, look, now stay in my field. Hey, glean from my crops. Stay with my young women. I'm I'm protecting you. I've charged the young man not to hurt you. Like, this is incredibly kind. He does not have to do this. And, And from her perspective, she's wondering, why? And she asked this most amazing question in verse 10. Why have I found favor in your eyes? that you should take notice of me, because I'm a foreigner. Ruth knows, I'm nobody. I have nothing to offer you. I have, I have, you have nothing to gain by being kind to me. Why? Why would you be kind to me like this? Now let's pause for a second. This story, Boaz redeeming Ruth, is ultimately just a picture of God redeeming his people. And so for us to have any chance at a relationship with God, we have to have this same mindset as Ruth in this moment. God, why would you be gracious to me? God, why would you notice me? Why would you be kind to me? Why would you send your son to die for me? God, I'm a foreigner. I'm an enemy. I'm not part of your family. I rejected you. God, why? And until you ask that question before God, you can't have an honest relationship with him. Because you have to understand that you don't deserve it. Ruth doesn't deserve this. She asked that question. And Boaz is going to answer. Verse 11. Here's what he says. Here's why he took notice of her, why he's providing for her, why he's going to redeem her. Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. How you left your father and mother in your native land, and you came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Here it is. Under whose wings you have come to take refuge. That's why. That's why he loved her. That's why he was kind to her, because she submitted herself under the wings of God, under the refuge of God. That's, she didn't have anything else. She was only finding her refuge and her hope in the Lord. And that's what Boaz noticed, verse 13. And she said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. The reason he is kind to her and gracious to her is first because what is attractive about her is how she, her disposition to God, right? Remember, she's a foreigner who grew up worshiping all kinds of other gods. And here she is humbly serving her mother-in-law, working hard in the fields. um, And what Boaz really sees is, no, no, she's taking refuge under God. And that's what was attractive to him. And so he feeds her, and let's skip down to verse 17. It says, so she gleaned in the field until evening, and she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. That was a lot. And she took it up a lot more than she expected to get. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And so she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name 
with whom I work today is Boaz. <laughs> Naomi goes, ah, that sounds familiar. Verse 20. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness is not forsaken, the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. I think her eyes start to get open to God. She's starting to come out of her depression. Verse 21, and Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all the harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with, this, with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. And so she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Ruth goes back after this amazing experience with Boaz where he shows her kindness beyond anything she deserved. And she tells her mother-in-law who was kind to her. And her mother-in-law, her, her eyes light up. Her heart springs back to life. Why? Because that's Boaz. He's one of our redeemers. Like, we've got a fighting chance to make it. And so they hatch a plan. They put some, some works uh, to their faith, their faith in God, their faith in his redemption. And I'll be honest, it'd be easy to skip over this plan because it seems a little bit crazy to us. It would not be the plan you or I hatch. And there's a lot of cultural stuff we may not even understand, but let's read it. Verse chapter 3. They hatch a plan for Ruth to get close to Boaz. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Anybody else think that's a crazy plan? <laughs> to uncover the feet of a sleeping man and lay there until he tells you what to do. I know what I would do. Never mind. Um, <laughs> verse 5. And she replied, all that you say I will do. <laughs> Naomi's coming out of her depression, her hopelessness. People who are depressed and have no hope can't see God at work. They don't make plans for the future. They don't plan for what's next. They don't have any sense of action. No, they spiral deeper and deeper into it, right? And Naomi hatches this plan. Ruth, go get near Boaz. His feet specifically under the cloak of Boaz is the word used. Now, before we just laugh at that and laugh it off, and I'm just, I'm just I'm going to say this, it's not sexual, okay? It's not uh, seductive in any way. This somehow was culturally appropriate, I don't know, but the same language that's used earlier, what was attractive to Boaz about Ruth was that she found protection under the wings of God, and that the same word for wings is the same word for cloak. And so it, when it says, go place yourself under the cloak of Boaz, what, it's a, it's, you see the romance, right? It's, it's not, it's deep. It's not sexual. It's not uh, manipulative. No, it's deep. No, no, no. Go place yourself under the cloak, under the protection, under the wings of Boaz and beg him <laughs> to redeem you. So verse 6, what does she do? 
So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. And at midnight, the man was startled, obviously, and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, who are you? (laughs) It's probably not how he said it. And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Here it is. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Ruth does as Naomi tells her. She goes, and she situates herself near Boaz, and she cries out to Boaz, cover me with your wings. Cover me with your cloak. Protect me. Provide for me. Redeem me. Do you see it, right? This is not, this is not sexual or seductive. No, this is, this is deep. This is, I need you, Boaz. I have nothing without you. I, I have no hope unless you spread your cloak, your wings over me, right? And if this is ultimately a picture of us and God, God is kind to us, and we don't deserve it, but we have to cry out like Ruth. No, God, spread your wings over me. Cover me with your cloak. Protect me. Provide for me. That's that's salvation. God, I I know I have no hope. Ruth knew she had no hope without him, without someone redeeming her. She cries out to Boaz, save me, in essence. Verse 10, how does he respond Same way God responds to anybody who calls out on his name for salvation. Verse 10, and he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman, and know it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer or closer in relation than I. So remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. So lie down until the morning. And Boaz responds and says, yes, I will redeem you. That's how God will respond. If you cry out to him and say, God, I have no hope without you, save me. He will redeem you. There's some specific circumstances he's not the closest relative and he's not the exact one but he agrees look if if I can't get this other guy to do it which we're all like no nobody wants him to no this is a romance story it's Boaz and Ruth it's not this other guy we don't even know his name but there's this other guy they got to talk to first so let's look at chapter four we're almost almost done chapter four verse one now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there and behold the redeemer of who Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friends, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. And he said to the redeemer, Naomi has come back from the country of Moab, and she is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence Sorry, I lost my place. (laughs) Bide in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And the guy says, I will redeem it. They're like, no, we want Boaz, right? We don't even know this guy's name. And Boaz said, he adds the clause in there. He says, 
The day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then, then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Boaz gets to. You see it? God is at work, even in the darkest of times. Even in a very dark period of Israel, a very dark period of, their, of Ruth and Naomi's life where they have nothing, they are destitute, they are hopeless. God is at work. He hasn't forgotten his people. He's not taken his hand off when times get hard. He's not absent. You may feel hopeless like Naomi. You may feel like God can't be in this. There's no way God's at work. I don't know what God's up to in this. This makes no sense. You may feel like Naomi. And if anything we can learn from Ruth today is be encouraged. God has not taken his hand off. God's doing 10,000 things at once, and you might get to be aware of three of them. God is present. He is active in this situation. Let's, let's finish out the story and see how God is using this. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Obviously, Ruth had experienced some, some darkness, too. She had been barren for 10 years with her previous husband. But now that she's with Boaz, he's redeemed her. He's providing for her, taking care of her. God opens her womb, and she has a son. And they call him Obed, right? We don't really know Obed, except for one thing. He's the grandfather of David, the greatest king in the history of Israel. But way more than that, David is a picture of the Messiah to come the one who would, who would come and finally, fully redeem his people from their sins, right? God uses this destitute, poverty-stricken, no-name-of-a-woman Ruth to be the grandmother of David, the greatest king in history of who Jesus comes from. And the reason we sit in a room today and worship Jesus for dying on the cross for our sins because of Ruth, because of her faithfulness, because of God using Boaz to redeem her and have a son who has a son who's David, who has sons and sons and sons and is Jesus, so that we would sit in a room and worship him because he saved us when we didn't deserve it. Do you see this? God uses Ruth, a Moabite nobody with issues, broken and destitute. And if you think God can't use you because of whatever you are or whoever you are, and you are totally mistaken today. No matter what's in your past, no matter what, who your family is or isn't, God can use you and will use you. But the thing that it requires is faith in him, right? Ruth placed herself under the cloak of, of God, under the wings of God. And he redeems her and he uses her. 
And so today, Ruth is, is an encouragement for us Christians. Yes, it's an Old Testament story about some random ladies from Israel and Moab. But it's, a, it's an encouragement for us that God is redeeming us. And he's continuing to redeem us, even when our circumstances make it seem like God is absent or has forgotten us. Or maybe even that he is against us. Don't let your circumstances, the situations you find yourself in, control that. No, 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 not at all. God is at work. If anything today, we should be experts at seeing those glimpses of what God is doing. And we should hold on to those. We shouldn't be people that are depressed because we wonder where God is. No, 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 no. God is at work. He is doing things. He's saving some. He's redeeming us. And he's been at work at that since the thousand BC. It started with Abraham. It started earlier than that. And it worked through Ruth. And it continues today. You should answer that. Let me pray. God, I pray that you would convince us of the fact that you are here. God, that you are active and working all things together for good in our life, God. God, help us not to be people who despair or who are hopeless like Naomi, but may we be like Joseph and like Ruth. God, who see your hand at work in the everyday mundane circumstances, God. God, may we be experts at seeing the glimpses of your hand at work, and may we hold on to those things, God. You're doing so much more than we can ever see. You, you hardly ever roll back the tapestry and let us see the whole picture, God. You give us glimpses along the way, and I pray that we would not despair or lose hope because it feels like you're absent, God. May we seek through our circumstances and the things that we find ourselves in, and may we see your hand at work in redeeming us, God. That is our biggest problem, is that our relationship with you is broken. God, and you've been at work all along to fix that. God, may we be people of faith who would step into that and trust you to provide for us like Boaz did for Ruth, to protect us like Boaz did for Ruth, God, to redeem us from our sin and bring us into the house like Boaz did for Ruth, God, and like Jesus did for us. God, we love you and we need you. I pray that as we, we sing a song now and worship, um, if people have commitments to make, God, that they would do that. They would talk to people. They would pray. Uh, whatever needs to happen as we, we finish out our service, God, I pray that you would encourage our hearts. God, we love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.